morning everyone so let me just say I'm, I'm super I'm super proud uh, of, of these these young these young men and, and, and young women I'm, I'm really super proud uh, not just for the ones that we had reading even not too long ago but even if you were here last week last week Sunday Sunday evening uh, you would have a better sense as to what I'm talking about. I'm really, really, really proud of, of our young people. And, um, you know, when JP and I sat down and, and we spoke about doing something like last, last, last week, Sunday, um, it's not that we, we, we didn't believe that they could do it. I'll, I'll just let you guys know that up front. It's not that we didn't think that you guys had the capacity to do it. But I think you guys just, just superseded. You, you, you went beyond anything that we thought. And, and that was a testament to, you know, just everybody and everything that, that God has been pointing to you all these years. And it really is a testament to the Spirit as well, that the Spirit is able to work through you, through all of us, if we allow ourselves to submit to, to His hand and to His will. So I just want to say thank you guys so much for being, being, being open to being used, and, and I pray, hope, and trust that as you continue to be used in, in ministry and in life, um, God, will, God will reveal a clear path uh, to each and every single one of you. I, I pray we have uh, some preachers in our midst. I, I pray we have some young uh, evangelists. I pray, of course, that we have some future elders. I, I pray that we have some, some worship leaders that, that we are raising up. And so I just want to uh, thank all the parents, all the ministers, and just everyone that has poured into our our young people. Uh, every, everybody has heard. If you you know, give me give me the next slide. Uh, everybody has heard. Of, <laughs> so 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 that that was the wrong slide. But the joke, the cat is on the back. The cat is on the back. It was supposed to be the, the ah. So everybody's. Everybody knows about Uncle Sam, right? <laughs> now we give me the slide. Now cats on the back. Cats on the back. But this is this is Uncle Chris, uh, and and I just want to make a plug. I want to make a plug here. Uh, if if you are able-bodied, and by that I mean really, if if you have the capacity, uh, you're of age, and you have the ability and the desire to to help on our security staff and security team. That's a ministry, by the way. Uh, I want you to meet with Uncle Chris. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll be willing to take all your information and put you on the right track to have you a part of our security detail. As a matter of fact, if Uncle Chris is not here, I should have done one with every single one of those security individuals and just put their faces up there. But if, if Chris is not here, and I did see him this morning, if you can't connect with Chris, just go ahead and connect with anybody on, on staff. We have Tammy, we have Jesse, we have others. Just go ahead and connect with one of these individuals. They'll take your particulars down. And uh, of course, you have to go through some, <laughs> some training. The training is intense. Just so you know, uh, JP did it, and he almost blew his knee up. So training is intense. Don't say again. Don't say again. Don't, don't do JP that. Don't, don't do JP that. So the, the training is intense. The training is intense. And, but we, we want to encourage every single one that's, that's able and willing to be a part of this ministry. All right, give me the next slide before we move on. Uh, on another note, if, if, you have been, if you have been looking 
at uh, your emails and you've been getting a lot of the correspondence that's been going through, you'd recognize that there are a number of individuals who are hospitalized or who are ill, who are going through different uh, aspects of their life, they're going through some hurt and they're going through some pain. There are a number of individuals who are still shut in and at home, and even people who have yet to make their way back to, to the building. And so we, we were really hoping to, you know, roll out this as a formal ministry at the beginning of next year, but I don't think we can wait until next year. And so I want to encourage you, uh, if you would, just think about it, pray about it, but this is a ministry that we would love to develop, this visitation ministry. Uh, and of course, everybody could participate as, as much as you can, as, as much as time would allow, but we really want to develop this into a full-fledged ministry with people who are dedicated and devoted uh, to go into the hospitals, to go in um, to homes and stuff like that, to meet and encourage individuals uh, wherever they are. And so if you are interested, if you have the time, uh, and if you can make yourself available to be a part of that full-time ministry, please feel free uh, to meet me after service or send me or Miss Cheryl uh, an email of some sort giving your name and stuff and we will definitely have this ministry up and running hopefully before the end of the week. So again, this is just my plug for us in establishing what is uh, a definite need right now. Every single one of us already knows somebody who is in the hospital or who is sick, who's, who's gone through surgery and who's at home. So we really want to reach out to these individuals as best as we can and be a, a source of encouragement to them. Our scripture reading was taken this morning from the book of Matthew chapter 16, uh, specifically verses 13 through 20. And uh, it's interesting because this is really going to be a platform text for us this morning a little bit differently than I'm accustomed to. I'm, I'm really going to take us through a litany, through several uh, verses, through several texts of scripture, old and new, as I, I develop our topic and our theme of come let's build together. Uh, and, and so really, as we, we think about this text, I'll bring this text in, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 19. I'll, I'll connect this text along the way as we develop our sermon for today. Growing up, let me see if I can start by, by saying this. Growing up, I, I always heard, you know, especially older people. I, I grew up really old school, and so I, I heard two things growing up from, from, from older folks, particularly, specifically the older men in, in, in my community where I grew up. They would tell you, number one, uh, as, as a man, when you become a man, you had to own your own home. And really, what they were trying to teach is, if you had intentions of, of having a wife and a family eventually, then it was incumbent on you to first have a place to, to have your, your wife and to grow your family. Uh, and so they, they would say, you know, it was important for you to own your own home. If you were to be a man, you had to own your own home. And then you had some really old school, old school individuals who would say, well, it wasn't just enough to own your own home. You had to be able to be a real man. You, you had to be able to build your home for yourself using your own two hands. 
So while yes, if you owned a home, that was good. It, it, was, it was seen really as you really being a man and showing sweat equity and, and all that type of stuff when you had the ability to erect your home for, I, I see some of you already shaking your heads. You know where, what I'm talking about. You had to, to build this structure by yourself. And so I want us to be able to appreciate that. And I know this is really old school, but the whole idea behind it that I've come to recognize is they were trying to prepare us as men, as potential husbands and fathers for, the, for, for having the basic necessities to, to, to have a house and to have eventually a family. So owning your own house was seen as a matter of importance while building it for yourself was really ultimately deemed as a matter of pride. And I'm not here really to debate the, 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 the issue of whether or not it's true that you're, you're supposed to have a home or not have a home. I, I know for myself, I didn't own a home when I got married, and, and, and thanks be to God, it's 13 years still, and my wife hasn't left me because I still don't own a home. If, if, if being a real man was dependent on me building, building uh, uh, you know, my, my house for myself, well, by golly, uh, I'm not a real man because I, I, haven't, I haven't built a structure for myself. But I believe what they were trying to teach was that as a husband, as a potential father, it's, it's up to you to be able to have a place of stability for the one that you're bringing into your or this particular environment. So I know contrary to popular belief, you don't necessarily have to own a home, you don't necessarily have to build a house in order for you to get married. Now, that's not to say, young men, that you ought not to have something before you decide to bring a woman into, into that circle, all right? So you, you need to have a plan and you need to have a place to be able to, to put this woman that is going to be your wife. And so they would go on, many of these older folks would go on to to, to share their experiences of when they were growing up as to what it would have taken for them to currently now have what is theirs. They, they would tell you with a smile on their face about family and friends coming and helping to erect this structure and, and to see the kids, if they had kids at the time, see the kids help take up cinder blocks and, and, and to, clear, to clear land and to do all of this work. And they would tell you with, with a joy in their heart and a smile on their face that it didn't really matter how big or how small the structure was. The important thing was that it was done in love and the labor came together and they currently had what they have. Have you ever spent some time away from your home and it doesn't really matter what the accommodations were like you would have stayed maybe in a five-star i don't know if anybody here ever stayed in a five-star hotel but i've stayed in some pretty good hotels some I, I i i guess if the hotel the roof isn't leaking and you have hot and cold water it's it's pretty good i, I guess if you if the bed is plush enough and the sheets are clean and you could throw yourself down on the bed and and, and have a good night's rest i guess that's a good place. I guess if the accommodations are well enough that you don't have to worry about your asthma, you would consider the accommodations to be good enough. But I'm just saying, if you have been blessed to stay in a five-star hotel even, 
Have you ever experienced that, that there is no real place like home? It didn't matter what the accommodations were. It's, it's just different from, from your bed. I've slept in some of your beds. And some of your beds are good beds. But I'll tell you, my little mattress that I have to put a memory foam and then a topper and then I have to have my own pillow, there's just something about your own bed. I've stayed in some beautiful homes and I'll tell you, there's just something about my home, about when I turn my key, I know the smell of the garage. I know the smell of the kitchen. You, you, you may not necessarily agree with this, or you might, but you know every inch of that house, the house, that place, this environment. It doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. How many people here, you've had a bad day at school, and as soon as you make Home is supposed to be the place when everything around you is going crazy, when everything around you is chaotic. Home is the place where you find stability. Home is the place where you get centered. When everyone around you and everything around you is going crazy, home is supposed to be the environment where you find peace. The job place could be a crazy environment. The school place could be a crazy environment. The world is crazy, but your home is supposed to be that place where you are centered. But when the home, which is supposed to be the place of center, becomes the place of chaos, that's when we have problems. When the home that's supposed to be a place that offers you peace and offers you rest becomes a place of war, that's when we begin to have problems. So I want you, if you are so inclined with me today in sharing this topic and in sharing this sermon, I have entitled, There is no place, there is no place like home. Our homes reflect two things about us. Number one, our homes reflect, number one, our socioeconomic status. That is to say, our homes reflect our wealth and our social status. For most of us, as we, as we increase in our salaries and we increase in our worth, we move from one house or dwelling place to the next. That is, if at one point you were living in your car, as your means increase, you move from a car maybe to a trailer home. And as your means continue to, to get better and your earnings increase, you would ultimately move from a trailer home where you live in a trailer park somewhere to maybe a mobile, a mobile home. And as you move from a mobile home, the idea is to always do, go one step a little better based on your economic status. I've yet to see, and though I, I hear a lot of rich folk talk about giving up what they have and living the meager lifestyle, I've yet to see a rich person live on the streets. The truth is our homes, number one, reflects, if we're honest with ourselves, our socioeconomic status. But number two, and I believe this is really more important because when we think about the, the home and what the home reflects and represents, number two, our homes are a direct reflection of the occupants that are found within it. That is to say, this has to do specifically with the state and condition of the house 
It does not speak of the size or the quality of the building, but rather how well it is kept. Some of the most beautiful homes aren't necessarily the homes with the big chandeliers and the, 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 the big pillars and columns that run up and down. No, no, no. Some of the most beautiful homes that you and I would ever stay in and, and ever encounter in life are those homes that are warm to walk into. You could have a beautiful house as far as the structure is concerned, but when you walk in that house, it's cold. But take the, the opposite where the house is small and the house is meager. It's a little two-bedroom house that's trying to fit seven people at a time. And you add a visitor to that, well, we're overpopulated now. But you walk into this home, this modest, this meager home. You walk into this home and you feel at home. Growing up in, 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 in Santa Flora, growing up in Trinidad, I, we, we, we didn't at one point have the type of building that the church is now blessed to have. We, we literally had what we would call back in those days a chicken pen. And let me describe this scene for you as I, as I, I gravitate really quickly into this. Let me, let me describe this structure for you. It was a wooden structure, not, not even brand new wood, if you could call wood brand new. But it was a wooden structure. All the, the, the wood was rotten. There was, there was all kind of termites and all that kind of stuff in it. You, you, you had some galvanized uh, roofing. And the outside, uh, the, the, the walls didn't have any. There were several benches. And the floor wasn't concrete. It was part concrete and part dirt. We met there on Sunday for worship, Monday for prayer meeting, Wednesday for Bible class, Friday for youth event, and Saturday the women had a thing. We, we met there almost every single day. It was literally like a shack. But people hurried to come to the shack because it wasn't about what the physical structure looked like in as much as it was about what was going to take place when the people came together. But watch this. Even though the structure was old and the floor was part concrete and part dirt, you will not tell that this structure was ultimately, couldn't tell that this was a, a, an abandoned type of structure. No, 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 because eventually they would, we would scrape as best as we could, the rotted wood, and paint what we could. As best as we could, we would take some, some, some brooms, um, get some broomsticks, and we would sweep the floor so clean and so hard that the floor itself would shine. Have you ever seen mud shine? I know you have. And so they, we would clean it, and, and, and it, it reflected, as meager as it was, it reflected the occupants who were there present meeting on those different days at those specific times. I just want us to appreciate that whatever you have reflects on you. It might be meager, but you could take care of it. It might be meager, but you could have some pride in cleaning and taking care of what you have. 
Here's what I want us to get to as we compare this, this very physical reality of a home with something spiritual in nature that I believe God had in mind. In the book of First Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15, Paul would say this after saying in verse number 14 that his desire was to come. But if he couldn't come in time, he says in verse number 15, but if I tarry long that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So when I talk about there is no place like home, I want us to keep in our minds this reality or this picture of something that's physical, but recognize that I'm really speaking about something that's spiritual. You guys with me? So the house of God is equated to the church, and by extension, it's also equated to the kingdom. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Christ, in the book of Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33, he would talk about giving precedent to the kingdom and things of God as opposed to everything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and his righteousness, and all these other things, he would say, would be added Unto us, so the kingdom takes precedent. Get for me Colossians chapter 1. I know I have a reader, Colossians chapter 1, reading from verse number 9. Let's do this really quick. If you do this quick, I'll be done. For this reason, for this reason, since mm -hmm. the day we heard it, go on, do not cease to pray for you mm -hmm. and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Go ahead that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Come on. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, mm -hmm. for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Come on, read. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Uh-huh, hear this. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son. So he has translated love. us from this place of darkness. He has taken us from a place of darkness and translated us into the kingdom. I want you to listen to the language very carefully. Into the kingdom of his dear son. Continue, read. In whom we have redemption through his blood, mm -hmm. the forgiveness of sins. Go ahead. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Mm-hmm. For by him all things was created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Go ahead. Visible and invisible. Mm -hmm. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Yeah. All things was created through him and for him. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. Mm -hmm. And he is the head of the body. The he church. is the head of the body. The church. The church. Who is the beginning. Uh-huh. The firstborn from the dead. Mm -hmm. That in all things he may have the preeminence. All right, beautiful. You, 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 you could stop right there. So right there within the confines of those verses, you, there are different words that are being used that are making reference to the exact same entity or the exact same thing. So when you think about what's happening, this term kingdom, which in a, is, is, is in its sense a, a, an, an expansive term, it is, is equated to and speaking of the house of God, the body of Christ, and the church as well. So when you think kingdom, you can't help but think church. When you think church, you can't help but think 
the body of Christ. When you think the body of Christ, you can't help but think the house of God. All that to say, again, as I said before, I want us to keep in view and in mind this physical thing that is a house. But recognize, I'm not talking about a physical house. I'm really speaking about something that's spiritual. Therefore, if we are to understand that the home is a reflection of the occupants and that we are talking about something of a spiritual nature, then consider, for example, when, when Haggai speaks in Haggai chapter 1 and verse number 4, there is something there that ought to bring perspective to us. In Haggai chapter 1 and verse number 4, Haggai is getting ready to, to make uh, several statements as, as he is preparing the people to go and to finish the, 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 the temple that was left in shambles. But now even though they made their way back from exile and they should have been putting effort and energy into erecting or, or, or rebuilding the temple, they come back home from exile and they get comfortable doing their own thing. Watch this. So Haggai would say this in chapter 1 and verse number 4, is it time for you you owe ye to dwell in your nice, your beautiful houses while this house, the house of God lies in ruin? Haggai is trying to help them to understand you came back from exile and when you should have been working, you were so focused on your own thing while the thing of God, the things of God took second place. And if we're not careful, we could go away with the thinking that while, yes, we need to focus on ourselves and while, yes, God needs for us to focus on our family and our things, sometimes that thing and, and those things could take precedent over the things of God. So building a house requires four basic things and the message would be yours. And as we look at these four things, I want us to hurriedly go through some of these texts and hopefully we could come to a conclusion at the end of it. Building or erecting a house. We need four basic things. Number one, a plan. Say plan. Number two, place. Say place. Number three, resources. Say resources. And number four, we need manpower. So we need a plan, we need a place, we need resources, and you need manpower. You would tell Brother Morgan, you don't necessarily need manpower because we are in a technological age now. If that's how you're thinking, I'm telling you, you're missing out. So you need a plan, you need a place, you need resources, and you need manpower. These are the four basic things that you need to erect a physical home. Let's hurry along. When you think of the basic definition of this word plan or plans, there are two things I want us to try and focus and keep in mind as best as we can before we move on to point number one. Number one, uh, as you think about the meaning or definition of plan, you would encounter this first meaning, uh, if, if you do it, an intention or decision about what one is going to do. So when you say you have a plan, it's an intention or a decision about something that you are going to do. So you would say, I plan to become a doctor. Or I plan to become a nurse. I plan to become a teacher. This has everything and speaks to the intent of what one wants to do. 
So this is the what you are going to do. All right? So when we talk about I want to, I plan to, that's the what, that's the intent. But also, secondarily as well, when we talk about the definition of plan or plans, it's also a detailed proposal for doing or achieving said thing. So in the first instance, we, it, it, it tells us of our intent. But in the second instance, when we talk about the detailed proposals as to how we are to go about achieving this intent, that's really the initiative. So in the first instance, the intent speaks to the what. What are you going to do? In the second instance, that speaks to initiative. That's the how are we going to do it. So you might say, I want or I'm going to build a house. That's the intent. That's the what. But by means of building the house, you have to now develop the how. So when we think about it, it's also the destination. But you can't have the destination without going through as well the journey. So in other words, you can't accomplish the what without realizing the how. You guys with me? Let's move through this really, really quickly. So number one, as we think about these four things that are absolutely necessary in the erecting or the building of a physical home, and again, I want you to recognize I'm doing this in a physical sense. I need for us to be thinking on a spiritual level. Number one, I need for us to recognize that in as much as we need to have a physical plan, I need for us to also realize that God had a plan for erecting his house. Look at this. Not only does he give the intent, and, and God's intent is found, for example, in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 10. I love that verse. I don't think I've ever quoted that verse here at Antioch, but I, it, it's a pivotal verse for me as I think about part of the character of God or the mind of God. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 10, it kind of gives us a, a description of God that, that is, is sort of extreme. If you would think of God being a lover and a God that's filled with mercy and grace, Hebrews 2 and 10 gives us a picture of God where it, 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 it helps us to recognize God is, is somewhat obsessed. Because in Hebrews 2 and verse number 10, it would say that it became him through whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. In other words, everything that God did, has done, and is doing is with the intention of bringing as many as possible to dwell where he is. God is obsessed with fellowshipping with his creation. So everything God has done and everything that he is doing is with the purpose in mind to win as many souls as possible to him. To bring as many sons unto glory. So not only does God showcase his intent in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 10 but he also helps us throughout the annals of Scripture to recognize the initiatives that he would have taken. So God has told us not only what he intended to do, but even through Scripture, he helps us to recognize how he went about to do it. 
In Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 5, this is after Adam and Eve would have partaken of the, of, of the forbidden fruit. And, and now God is, is casting some judgment. But in as much as he is casting some judgment, he, he kind of reveals pretty early on his plan for the redemption of mankind. In chapter 3 and verse number 15, he would say, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise its heel. God is showcasing his intent early on to redeem man back to himself. In Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 when he calls Abraham, he calls Abraham and he tells Abraham, Abraham I will bless you and you shall be a blessing to all of mankind and your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. You get down to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. And I know there is some debate as to whether or not this was speaking specifically about Christ. I know, I know a lot of scholars say, well, this doesn't necessarily speak about Christ. But let me read it into your hearing in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 9, sorry, and verse number 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Well, let me give you one more text in Isaiah that, 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 that historians and theologians and skeptics can't dissuade you as to whether or not it was speaking about Christ in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. Matthew also alludes to this in his writing in chapter 1 and verse number 23. Here is what Isaiah would say, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God is just trying to reveal not just what he was going to do, but how he was going to do it. I love this passage in the book of Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 11. And I, I know, I know, I know that there is a context towards this. But, but even though there is a context, I'm saying this still rings true. When, when Jeremiah makes this statement, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and to give you a hope. God is saying that. I have a plan, but I also have a plan as to how to get there. Get for me Jeremiah chapter 31. Get for me Jeremiah chapter 31. I'm, 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 over, I'm over halfway done. Get for me Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. The faster we do this, the faster we're going. Behold, the days come. Said the Lord. Read. I'll make a new covenant. Uh -huh. And with the house of Judah. Go ahead. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the days that I took them by the hand to mm -hmm. bring them out of the land of Egypt. Go ahead. Go ahead. Which my covenant they break. Mm -hmm. Although I was an husband unto them, said the Lord. Yes, sir. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Uh huh. After those days, said the Lord. Come on. I will put my law in their inward parts. Uh huh. And write it in their hearts. Mm -hmm. And would be their God. And they should be my people. All right, you can stop right there. You can stop right there. What are you doing, God? Why are you, why are you, why are you showing us this passage, preacher? It's because I want us to understand that God is, is showcasing in our Old Testament, from our Old Testament position, the way that he's going to bring his plan to fruition. I'm going to do something new. And not only am I going to do something new, uh, new I'm going to show you who I'm going to do it 
through. So watch this. In, in John chapter 1 and verse number 29, when, when we, we pick up with this context on the New Testament, John declares Jesus as being the Lamb of God that is going to take away the sin of the world. Then we get to Matthew chapter number 3 and verses 13 through 17. This is the scene where Jesus is actually baptized by John. And you recall this, when Jesus comes to John to be baptized of John, John says, no, 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 you, you don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized of you. And Jesus says, listen, suffer it to be so for now for the fulfillment of the prophecies. And so John would go on to baptize Jesus. And at the point of Jesus' baptism, the scripture would illuminate for us that this image would take place. This thing would happen where a dove would descend and a voice out of heaven would say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In Matthew chapter 17, verses number 1 and following, we encounter this transfiguration scene where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him up into a mountain, separate and apart from the rest of the disciples. This is after he just made a declaration to Peter in chapter 16. Now he goes up into the Mount of Transfiguration, and there he's transfigured before their faces. And what's happening is that Peter becomes so giddy with what he is seeing. Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he yet spake, behold, a voice again out of heaven would have said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear these last words. Hear ye him. So God is showcasing not only does he have a plan and what he's going to do, but he is showcasing how he was going to do it. He was going to do it through the person of Jesus Christ. So in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20 where we get the, that, that, that famous commission scene. Jesus begins by saying in verse number 18, all power and authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go make disciples. So number one, we see that God had a plan. But number two, not only do we supposed to have a plan, but also we recognize that you must have a place. You can't have a plan to build a house and not have a place. You can't have a plan to erect a home and not have a place to erect the home. And so God not only had a plan in mind, but he also had a place. Now, this is the tricky part. Because the place is connected between heaven and earth. Remember what Jesus said when he spoke in Matthew chapter 16 to, 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 to Peter at the time? He said, Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I say unto thee that I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. That's better translated this way. Whatever you have bound on earth has already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. In other words, whatever you're doing here on earth, it's because it's connected there in heaven. Whatever is already done in heaven is reflected while here on earth. So you can't want the glory there, but not recognize that you ought to have the glory here. You can't expect to praise God there, but not want to praise God here. You guys not seeing this? 
You can't want to serve God wholeheartedly. There, eternity is a whole lot longer than 30 minutes. So he says, the earthly is connected to the heavenly. Mark me, five minutes and I'm done. Thomas, get ready. The earthly is connected to the heavenly. Watch this. So he says, not only do I have a plan, but I also have a place. In the, the, the tabernacle or the tent, that image of the tent that followed the children of Israel throughout the, 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 their wandering in the wilderness, God was showing that he was with his people wherever they went. When it came to the temple, that temple that was envisioned by David, but then later on erected by Solomon, his son, God was showcasing that I am permanent and stable with you who are my people. But then you come to the church, and in the church, all of what the temple and the tabernacle represented connects and comes together within the confines of the church. God says, wherever the Christian goes, I'm with them. God is saying, whenever the church gathers, I am there. So it doesn't matter where we go, God is there, and God offers stability. So watch me on this. So the body, that is this physical body that Paul calls this earthly tabernacle, is now the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. While the body, that is the entity called the church, the collective body of believers, is where God's glory is found. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Here's what Paul would say in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20, 20 and 21. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think or could even imagine, unto him be glory in the church. So in this physical body, indwells the Holy Spirit. But in this collective body, indwells God's glory. So God says, not only do I have a plan, but you with me? I also have a place. So I need for this church to be implanted, not just in you, but I need for this church to be implanted in this world, in this world. Let me hurry before Thomas calls me a liar. Not only do we have a plan, not only do we have a place. I have three more minutes. We need the resources. We need the resources. We need the resources. Let me just do this really quick because I really want to be a studious with time this morning. When we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I, I, I want to ask us to read this now. We'll do this on our own. When we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, on last week, we, we, we heard Paul talk about one person planting the next person watering while God gave the increase. And that he and people like Apollos and others were just co-laborers together. But it was really God was the one that blessed uh, to, to see, uh, you know, the numbers and the spirituality and everything grow. But the resources in question here, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 12 through 17... And you compare that with 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Let me repeat that one more time for those who are actually taking note. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. When you compare those passages together, you recognize that the resources he is actually referring to is not, is not just 
people, us, but also what we do and everything that we have. So we are the resources that help to build this spiritual structure, but we also help to build this spiritual structure by the, by, by the things that we have and the gifts and the resources and talents that God has given to us. You guys with me? And hear me close now. Hear me close now. Stand with me as I give you this last point. I'm done. I told you I was going to be done. Not only does he have a plan, not only does he have a place, not only does he have the resources, but you need some manpower. You, you need some manpower. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35, this is, this is interesting stuff to me. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 35, Jesus, when he went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, and, and the, the, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they were weary, because they were faint, and they were like scattered sheep without any shepherd. Then having this compassion, then from this place of, of burning, he says unto his disciples, the harvest is truly plenteous. He says the harvest truly is great. I'll tell you what's happening out in the world is heartbreaking still. And Christ is still saying the harvest is plentiful. It's not as if the harvest is any, is any different now than it was then. It's still plenteous. Could you agree to that, church? The work is still great. The problem is the laborers are few. So he says the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are You know what Jesus is saying? We need some manpower. God has a plan. God has a place in mind. God has all the resources that he needs, but he needs some manpower. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Here's the funny part about all this, and I'm done. Come on, Thomas, get up there, get up there. Here's the funny part about all of this. He says, pray to the Lord of harvest, and he can send forth reapers. And then in chapter 10, he, Jesus, sends out the 12. Don't think that you, you should be praying that God sends somebody else. Because in reality, when you pray, God send people to this place and that place, send somebody so that this person could know the gospel and this person could know about you. What you're actually praying for is strength to go. So the harvest is plenteous. The laborers might be few, but if we are willing, we could turn this harvest upside down. Do I have some willing participants this morning? Are you willing to pray the prayer to the Lord of harvest, send forth, reaper? Say send forth. Means go me. Say send forth. Means go me. Say send forth. You getting it? Send forth means go me. So even though the harvest is great, 
and the laborers are few. If you and I are willing, Sister Angie, we could turn Antioch. We could turn Nashville. We could turn Smyrna. Well, but I'm working there's a church in Smyrna. Who cares? They have souls in Smyrna too. We could turn Murfreesboro. Believe you me, we could turn Tennessee. I'm telling you, if we are willing, because God knows we are able, even though the harvest is plenteous, we could turn this world upside down. So let's show a little pride. Because the last time I checked, a house is a reflection of the occupants who are in it. We might be 400 strong, but it doesn't matter. If you are willing, we could turn Antioch inside out and upside down. Repeat after me and I'm done. There's no place. There's no place. Say it with some pride. There's no place. There's no place.